This is gonna be fun. What, what was that? Ed hasn't eaten. No. In a bad mood, and he's hungry. God help us all. Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday the 13th of May and joining me on this edition are Mark Hodgkinson. You've seen it, you've heard it and you're still asking questions. Mark Botwright. I'm beginning to enjoy it. Steve Withers. You better send a meat truck, try to cut the saucepan in the throat. And Ed Selly. That skag and his floozy are going down. Steve was the only one that managed a hint of uh, Aussie accent there. Oh that's what that was. Hello and welcome along to the AV Forums podcast. So before we uh, crack on with some hardware news, let's go over competitions. Uh, Kingston HyperX Cloud Gaming Headphones, 18th of May, that competition closes. And the two competitions that we told you about uh, last week that just went up at the time of the podcast going up, 55 Days of Peking Blu-ray, uh, 1st of June, that closes. And the Dirty Harry competition for the full collection Blu-ray is the 5th of June. Right, let's move on to some hardware and... Oh, where am I going to go first? I think I'm going to go Ed first because Ed had a nice little jolly. Uh, sorry, went out and did some serious investigative reporting on PMC's new subwoofer. I did. Obviously, in a perfect world for AV Forums reviews, uh, the product comes to us and is reviewed in our surroundings with which we are familiar with, which is why what I wrote last week is a first impressions and not a critical review. Because at the moment, um, having heard it at Bristol, the total number of... PMC 20 subwoofers in the world is still pegged at one. <laughs> so, um, and it's off to Munich. Uh, actually, I believe it will have left for Munich the, today uh, the, uh, as we record this. So PMC very kindly let me come down to Metropolis Studios, which they have been involved in for some time. Uh, and I could listen to it in situ there. Uh, obviously, it's not a room with which I am entirely familiar um, and it's not equipment with which I'm entirely familiar with. So it was more of, if you like, getting getting a handle on on what it does in, a, in, a, in an environment more forgiving than just listening to it at the, at the show. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously you can read read my thoughts, but it's it's a very impressive device. If you are looking for something which is going to recreate the brown noise, forget it. It's not one of those. It's much more in the vein of the Eclipse TD520SW sub, which I did, did the review for as part of the Eclipse system. It's an effortless way of adding really an extra octave of excellent bass to uh, speakers that already have quite a lot of excellent bass. So it's extremely fast lovely integration with the other pmc20 speakers it must be said don't get me wrong the room had been treated but nonetheless the speakers were free sighted it you know there was there were limitations to to, to exactly what the room was going to do for for integration under those circumstances and it worked really really well um i mean the kicker was two things for me using it to play rush which as i've said before you get a lot of effects in the sort of 30 to 60 hertz range so it's constantly crossing over between full-size speakers and the sub and um really really lovely integration on that and then um there's a stevie wonder live blu-ray which had been mastered at metropolis and that was the tie in there um i'm not you know i, I like a bit of stevie every now and again uh, it's not something i you know, will swim rivers and climb mountains for but it was really really excellent um don't get me wrong it's not cheap it's three thousand pounds uh and there's plenty of competition but nonetheless, I was was really impressed by it. I guess the big thing here is that obviously PMC used transmission line technology. So 
Uh, maybe you could quickly explain that for people who are not up to speed with what transmission line actually is. It, transmission lines are hateful. It's like trying to explain how a rotary engine works. I know the principle, but it still seems to basically you come mean down a, you to mean magic. a wankle. I, I'm going to say rotary engine because you can say that word. It's uh, I don't need don't need to degen, de- degenerate into that level. Effectively, basically, by putting a very large pathway from the back of the driver to to the outside world, it's possible to use that air in such a way as to is to increase the um, frequency response of the speaker without any of the downsides of a short conventional port where you get chuffing and, and audible movement of air and so on and so forth. And the, the 20 sub has got two whacking great seven foot lines in it. So um, it, it, it's, a, it's a fairly it, it's sort of you know large example of the breed. But if you it's one of my one of my points of, of ignorance why it works in a, why there's essentially an enhancement beyond that of of a conventional straight port given essentially as i understand it that actually momentum of air is lost i don't understand that but it works and pmc are particularly good at it just just say it's magic ed and we'll all believe you i was happy to say it was magic <laughs> but i felt compelled to try and do something better than it's magic. i mean basically i guess the, the simple explanation is it allows you to do things with a either smaller drivers or b smaller cabinets where you could fit them into the wall so a lot of the the wall subwoofers that you see actually use transmission line technology uh, to yeah. move air around and so on so they don't rattle the baffles off and yes that that that's fair enough and um I mean, obviously, there are limits to the size. I mean, so much as having a, a, a proper... There, are, There's an algorithm for the ideal length of the line, and it, after a while, it's going to, you know, affect the size of the cabinet because it has to be uh, fairly fairly large. But nonetheless, yeah, given the size of some of the competition at £3,000, the 20 sub is actually a, a fairly... It's certainly very narrow, and it, it's actually a reasonably easy thing to accommodate. Oh, of course, the one that you've seen was a bit more than than that because it's the only one of a kind so it'd be a bit more expensive well yes i mean obviously you can't put a price on on prepos um but they are going to make more though right they are going to make more (laughs) um production starts it starts imminently but uh for the moment and and what i listen to i am assured on pain of death by pmc is it is exactly to production spec so there's no no jiggery pokery going on and it must be said i mean maybe i don't know maybe i've just worked for companies that used to produce really bad pre-production samples but, but it's beautifully finished <laughs> so um it really does look, look like the look like the finished article. well it's it's the one for the shows as well isn't it so it's front yeah, of house version. yeah yeah totally okay so interesting and uh, i guess we will be in line to get one of those in for review properly once we have a production sample to absolutely yes uh we haven't decided yet uh whether we want to do it on its own or whether we want to get a, a complete set of 20s in do the whole shebang so um i'm interested on feedback for that what, what would people prefer i can do either or yeah i'm, I'm sure people will let you know in the uh, in the comment section on this podcast so can i, can I make a request know. ed can you ask yeah. them to please use a capital t in their marketing <laughs> material <laughs> well they don't it's not just the 20s the facts also do without a capital f so it looks like capital letters are actually being eliminated systemically in, like very ee uh, e. cummings of them but it's really annoying when you're copying when you're proofing copy <laughs> just just so people are aware of this steve's really angry because i submitted my copy with 20 written lowercase as correct steve decided that he didn't like that at be, all. being, being and, the pedant that he is then changed it all to capital 20 
Uh, and then I had to say to him, could you change it back? Because it's not supposed to be that way. So, <laughs> so he's just annoyed because it's half an hour of his life. He'll never get back. So, And also, when you say test material, you use Rush. I assume you're talking about the film and not the popular three-piece musical combo. And we are indeed talking about the film and not the oh, uh, masters you, of oh, Canadian right. I thought you, I Canadian thought you were rock. talking about the rock band. Well, there's a time and a place for Rush, but I didn't feel it was... It was if I, if, I had, if, I had used, if I had used uh, a Rush album, I would have said it was a, you know, a farewell to arms or so on and so forth. Whereas italicised Rush means it was the film. No. I'm, I'm glad we put that to bed, Ed. <laughs> uh, right, so let's move on to uh, display technology. OLED uh, is the big thing at the moment. Obviously, Steve had a look at uh, the first LG screen of the year and the second screen of the year actually it should have been out last year but it's just being released now falls to mark so mark um this is also your first review of oled so it turns out that the nearest i got before was a, uh, a samsung galaxy s4 phone which is a four and a half inch <laughs> screen it's not it doesn't have quite the same impact mind you, you say that i think the 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 biggest i've reviewed so far was a 15 inch so there you well, that's, that's a monster compared to the phone so you know count your blessings turned up on uh, Friday afternoon in a very large flight, flight case so I've had the weekend with it unfortunately it was a bit of a busy weekend so not quite as much viewing as I'd like so we're still in the early stages of uh, appraisal here but amazing yeah it, it's a superb thing everything that Steve said before about the, the incredibly deep blacks black as you like it just kind of sucks you in I've watched a, football well, is what I've got well, to see a bit of. a bit of. disconcerting when you're not sure? Yeah, yeah, off. yeah, really. <laughs> you can't really tell off. if it's on or off sometimes. There's that screensaver it got that goes around the screen, and if, you, if you're not looking at those, that particular part of the screen, you would think it was completely off, and then the screensaver would jump into your eye line and then give you the fright of your life. It's uh, Yeah, it's quite a thing. Uh, quite a you thing. heard it uh, here first, ladies and gentlemen. You, uh, OLED television's terrifying. Terrifying, yeah. Terrifyingly black. Um, Colours out of the box are really good. I've... I've I kind of went off it a bit this morning because it was a bit of a, an intense calibration session. But um, even out of the box, it is pretty damn spot on. Motion handling, I, I really like it. I've got no issues with it at all. The one thing I would say is if you're watching broadcast sports or any of the broadcast sort of HD content, it does need a bit of sharpening. Uh, it, it looks a bit softer uh, than some of the I, I, LEDs. That's, uh, that's an interesting point because I've just had a huge flight case also, Mark, turn up yes. that wasn't supposed to turn up. Ended up unpacking the TV outside, but that's another story. Um, so I've got one of the first Panasonics in this year, CX700, 50-inch screen, and standard definition looks absolutely terrible. I don't know what they're doing. I mean, it's a 4K screen. I don't know what they're doing, but it looks really bad. Well, I can't, I can't say I've actually watched any standard def on this 65-inch 4K screen yet, and I'm not going to rush. I'm not going to rush to because if anyone's buying this screen, they do not want to be watching standard <laughs> definition. Uh, you know, you know, uh, we have to cover for a, far, a large majority. I will give it a quick of, glance, Phil. I will uh, give it a large play. Mine's all bigger than yours here, but uh, I'm not <laughs> watching standard def on invite, 78 inch Ultra HD 4K telly. Then no, I invite Mr. Imagine. Botwright round to watch some uh, watch some uh, Magnum on it. Well, I see the the reason I the reason I mention it is that you will have people that will go out and buy these TVs like my parents, and even though they pay for Sky HD and and all the rest, it they'll be watching the standard def channels. Well, <laughs> so if if you're going to go and spend six thousand pounds on a television, and then watch shit on it, then that's your hard luck, <laughs> to be honest. But um, yeah, anyway, said, said a Navy Forum spokesperson. <laughs> It doesn't make you've got to think that people buying these TVs are either Premier League yeah, footballers yeah. I, or I mean, they are into picture quality in a serious way. Yeah, but the, I mean, there, there is a serious point there, Mark, though. You know, um, 
we're talking about moving to 4K. We talked about this last week in the podcast. You know, it's it's going to be difficult to find a 1080p TV soon, yeah. um, but we're still going to have standard definition channels. Um, Which is why um, I think there's I think there's still a, a, a definitely a place for a, for a full HD set. Um, even the 720p set for you know for the older generation that's going to do most of them who are all watching standard def still and probably will do till they die the closest I've got to SD with this is watching upscaled through the TiVo so I think Jenny was watching something on TV too yesterday it, it wasn't actually all that bad to be fair yeah it, it surprised me that's all I'm saying because the yeah. Samsung I had in before that which was a 4k screen but it was only 40 inches I didn't really notice any any issues this is a 50 inch screen I'm sitting pretty darn close to it and it was the first thing I thought, wow, that looks really bad. It could just be, because I haven't messed with any of the settings, it could just be set up in, in shit. Yeah, uh, the out-of-the-box settings are no doubt awful, aren't they? Awfully garish. So, yeah, the, in terms of what I've actually watched of high-quality content, other than, obviously, football, um, I, I watched uh, I watched the BAFTAs last night. Uh, that looks really, wow. really good. There was a lot, a lot of people wearing black uh, tuxes and suits and... All the details are present in the shirts and, and all the creases are quite... Oh, I spent my time looking at everyone's clothes and no one's faces. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a rather odd way to watch TV, but, you know... The life of a TV can. reviewer. Yeah, the life of a TV reviewer. And, yeah, the shadow detail is fantastic. And, and, and I must say, the whole show, it looks spectacularly good. Uh, I watched House of Cards on Sunday night, uh, episode one of season three. That was amazing. That's got to be the best thing a, a TV programme you know, quality-wise, I've ever seen by a long, long way. Um, I mean, obviously the whole the whole package with OLED, isn't it? And the, the contrast and the colours and the and the resolution as well. So it was you could get right up close to it within a, you know within a foot or so, and it, it was still sharp. It yeah. looked absolutely gorgeous. Um, Daredevil. But this is Friday this night. is why I was mentioning standard definition material before, though, Mark. A, a lot of it is if you put shit in, you're gonna it's gonna look shit well, yeah. on on the OLEDs, and I think that that's what's maybe causing. Some of the strife on the forums. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I, I'm, are you jammy bars? Is all I can say, Mark. I, I was trying to watch um, X Files um, night before last in HD on on Netflix, and uh, I was getting my internet. My internet was throttling it, and uh, I was getting what can only be described as substandard def images. Oh, you get that mighty, screen. that mighty, mighty two eighty four p. Yeah, it was um, it was unwatchable. And I but, just pulled, pulled a stop at that point. Did, if you left it on for 10, 15 minutes, did it? fix itself or not no okay what happened was it would it would drop down then it would come back then it would drop down then it would come back then a buffer for a bit then it would come back then a buffer for a bit it was really really annoying and then in the morning i i i checked my, i did a broadband you know speed test and i was getting eight, eight megabytes a second i thought well why is it crapping out at night when i want to use it because everybody else, everyone is, else on. is using <laughs> yeah basically yeah. And, and if you're a mile and a half away from the exchange you've got everybody that's within that mile and a half also throttling the exchange so annoying because because the next morning I put on the same episode for a few minutes just to see and it looked it looked really good you know even on a seventy eight inch screen I thought oh, that looks, that's quite watchable no before you uh, ask what you're not watching TV when you're supposed to be working <laughs> yeah. sounds like you've got no choice to be honest eh? it's yeah. not it's not a great time to be watching TV I don't really want to enjoy a, a, a drama series over my cornflakes particularly it's just not the same as a glass of red wine is it that's what I had to do last week though last Tuesday morning over breakfast I watched game of thrones because it was unwatchable the previous night for me so uh anyway yeah now in terms of issues um now as i say it was still at the early stages of appraisal and uh, tonight and then and 
the next couple of nights, I'll be really giving it the the full treatment, fully sober and and in the dark. Um, yeah, so, yeah. But what about the TV? Ah, <laughs> um, so moving off angle, the curve and the filter and the anti-reflective coating make a difference. Particularly, particularly when you've got a solid block of colour on the screen. Um, there's a kind of a pinky t- rosy tint to the whole thing when it's off. So, you know, if the if the sun's uh, or if the, any light reflecting back, it's it's got this pink pinky magenta tint to it uh, and it changes as you move to the sides of the screen move your head to the side or walk to the side slightly and it and it changes the picture quite dramatically on, on say a full screen white pattern or, or, or a creamy pattern typically you'll see these you know adverts normally uh, and slightly off to the left there's a kind of a bluish greenish kind of a tint uneven tint to, to around the center of the screen but the corners are kind of pinkish um, go further further to the extremity and it becomes far more pink to the corners and, and the edges and you still get this kind of mottly bluey green or greeny blue rather um sort of tinting uneven tinting to the screen so i can i think that's something that people have been complaining about and it seems to be a combination of the curve the filter and the anti-reflective coating um just creating this this the, the way the light sort of reflects on it, I think, as much as So anything. is that on axis or just off axis? Just off axis. Like, literally, you're full on banging the... If, where I sit, usually, um, you, you can't really see any, any sort of tinting or, 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 or any issues, really. Move your head slightly to the side. And, and again, I'm talking on full-screen pale colours. You, you can start to see the tinting. Um, so I think, I think it's, you know... It, a lot of it's probably down to the curve as, as much as anything and the way the light refracts off it. So would you rather have that or a um, LED LCD backlight? Um, uh, there's no competition at the moment. It would have to be OLED. Absolutely have to be OLED. What if there's hypothetical, but what if there was plasma available, which would you rather have? 4K plasma. <laughs> nah, I'd still go OLED, I think. I mean, it's, give me a couple more days, but yeah, it's, it's those blacks. You, you know, it's going to be hard to go back. It really is. As, as <laughs> yeah, <they> say. <laughs> Once you go black, you never go back. Exactly, and I can see why now. What's the motion like on it? I thought I really like it, Mark. As I say, I watched like, loads of football, uh, and I was really, really, really plasma-like. Did you really. Did you watch QPR getting relegated? I did. I took great pleasure. Boo, in that. Yes, Sorry, do, Steve. Do. Yes, I enjoyed that <laughs> did, a lot. The motion handling I found is better than LCD, but not quite as good as plasma. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. In terms of I its... think with the 4K content, I think with the 1080i, uh, yeah, I'd say it just, the motion's not quite as good. Did you want the um, the moving lines benchmark test? Not yet. No, nope. still got to do that. Um, but with 4K, the motion looks super, absolutely super. But there's not there's not the scaling or deinterlacing to be done. Um, it looked it look gorgeous, I thought. But we're all we've all got different tolerances when it comes to motion. Really, right, seriously different. Um, I've certainly no issues with it at all. Neither did I actually. I was just curious. I was going to say one of the things that I always find it, what shows it better is uh, I know some people on the podcast might not like snooker, but it is a fantastic test for looking at motion. Yeah, I've said that in the past. I've I've, I've actually quoted snooker in, in the reviews. Uh, yeah, because it is definitely because the sort of uh, random sort of interaction with the white and the cushion and with spin and different speeds and, and all that kind of stuff. Unfortunately, the snooker's not been on, but I'm sure I can hunt some out. Um, but certainly with, with the footy. always got bloody Sorry, yeah. I think snooker's awesome for many things. The, the detail in the bays, um, the uh, colours of the balls, the blacks and the blacks of the tuxedos and the shirts and stuff. It's it's, it's a great test for yeah, The green of the bays at, um, I can't remember which championship it was, I measured it with the Klein and it was absolutely 
Rex 709 at 100% sight. It was perfect. <laughs> it was. I didn't measure the reds. I didn't move it around too much. Again, focus the life of a TV review. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had me, I had me thing out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything you do to get through it. Yeah. What you do in your own time is none of our business, Mark. <laughs> yourself, please. Yeah, yeah. It's, stun- it's, it's been stunning. I'm, I'm looking forward to spending a little bit more time with it. Who's this Klein bloke? You know, Calvin. <laughs> uh, right, let's go back to Ed. Ed, Oppo, they're well-known for their Blu-ray players. Yes. They're well-known for the, the audio stages on the Blu-ray players. They, they take serious audio seriously, um, but they're taking it even more seriously. Yes, it's interesting to watch a company developing... Um, an exit strategy uh, having, you know, let's, let's be honest, Oppo have very successfully made the Blu-ray category. They they don't they don't have a monopoly, don't get me wrong. There are fine products made by other people and some of them actually are rival products and not simply Oppo products in another box. Um, but we, we, we have to face facts that Blu-ray is... You know, it's 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 on it's on a on a, on a on a downward curve, and Steve it, Steve cover your ears. And it doesn't point. necessarily look like 4K Blu-ray is going to be a particularly immense sort of money spinner outside of sort of specialist applications. So they've been they've obviously been starting to look at other other sort of avenues. Um, some time ago, about a year ago, in fact, we did the Oppo. I reviewed the Oppo PM1 planar magnetic headphones, um, and it was a complete sort of out of the blue thing because there'd been no indication up until up until they arrived that that was where Oppo was looking. But it was absolutely not a uh, a, a sort of me too or half thought out or you know, half arsed piece of kit. It was a seriously well-engineered set of headphones. I thought, well, that's quite interesting. But now it's been followed by a seriously good headphone amplifier, uh, HP1. Um, and then there's... The new one, the upcoming review, it's all written, uh, as in, so it will actually appear in due course rather than me promising it'll appear in due course. It's on the site, just ready to go. Uh, a new, smaller, compact Hoppo headphone amplifier. And it appears to be a category that the company is moving into with exactly the same single mindedness and willingness to tweak what we take for granted a product should do at a given price point and it you know they're taking it very seriously indeed and it looks to be where they want to move next i mean don't get me wrong oppo is a, a biblical company they do many other things i mean they they make a, a huge number of mobile phone handsets they just don't import them into europe as best as i can work out so they've got other things to, to be cracking on with other than blu-ray but no they they've obviously taken one look at the headphone market and rather than just sort of wading in with a bit of branded goods here and there they've taken a technology which is not commonly seen and tremendously difficult to do, planar magnetic drivers. Uh, they've been building planar magnetic, planar magnetic headphones with that technology and then building headphone amps to, to run it. And they are very, very unusual, very distinct and, and very impressive products. So, yeah, they are showing a very serious move into 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 sort of serious audio. Have you run those latest ones in yet? Uh, well, they're ongoing. Well, obviously nothing's happening at the moment because my system is in bits ready for me to put it back together again exactly as it was <laughs> but no they, they they've got about a hundred and something hours on them now so yeah we're getting there but do you think it's a name that people will associate with audio no um which is why they've clearly taken to heart they have to try twice as hard as any of the brands that people have heard of so yeah if you, you only need to do a side by side with the either the big planar magnetic headphones 
or the headphone amps, the two headphone amps they do, to realise that at a given price point, the Oppo isn't just a bit better spec. It absolutely annihilates the opposition. It's just decisively better, and that's that's their, their way of doing it until such time as I guess they feel that they've got a um, they've got a, a more of a market. I've got to say that headphone DAC slash amp that you uh, have recently reviewed, but I don't think it's gone up yet. Looks gorgeous. It is, isn't it? It's uh, <laughs> um, the company that's doing some of the UK PR for Oppo. The phrase that they used is "it's very Dunhill," and they're absolutely right. It really does come across like that, and it it it's one of those things where. It doesn't have to have some of the details it has on it. It just, they've done it to make it look seriously impressive and to, to give the spec, you know, something, something to, 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 to further carry it on. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even a big listener of music on my, my um, iPhone, but uh, even I was thinking, I, I want one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> really, really want one, and I can't quite explain why. Well, that's that's the whole. That's it's very. I think it's very impressive that they managed to get that down pat. And there's also that's something that they that's sort of ongoing. Because don't get me wrong, the PM1 headphone is um, is a is a nice thing. It's beautifully made, clever use of materials. It feels impressive. The box it comes in is just a bit over the top. It's sort of wood which has been lacquered to the point where you can see your face in it, and it just doesn't feel quite so nice. The the P, the HAT they they've really sorted it out and it, it yeah they've got rid of any of that sort of overdoing it it just feels excellent i'm not surprised though because if you look at their blu-ray players they're always beautifully made well thought out um the lovely um you know packaging in, in terms of the box there was a bag inside the box and everything it was yeah they always did that really well so i'm just taking that taking that that ethos and, and applying it to Running other products it. yeah mm. and good luck to them really mm, absolutely I mean, the thing is, I don't know what's coming next. I mean, um, I don't even know if they're exhibiting at Munich, if there's anything new that we're going to see. But no, I look forward to it. Um, are you heading out to Munich, Ed? I am, yes. Uh, what days are that happening? Well, when this podcast goes live, I will be getting ready to go to Heathrow Terminal 5. I'm then back on the Friday. And uh, if at all possible, I will get my thoughts and images up uh, over the weekend. So you'll get to see what I've seen whilst the show is still live. Can't say fairer than that. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, so let's move on slightly. And uh, a subject which I know that a, a lot of listeners will struggle with. And um, I'm, I'm quite amazed that we haven't had more Agony Uncle uh, letters about this subject. And it, it, it's basically about mounting you know, your TV. Um, wall, wall mounting your TV. And uh, are you a real man? I like this OLED, but not that much. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, the question comes down to, are you a real man and, and, and could you do it yourself? Or are you like Ed, where you need to get a man in to do it and, and even then it doesn't really work? That's not, I need to stress. Getting a man in to do what exactly? Sorry, before we go any further. I didn't want Mount to dis- the TV. Yeah, I didn't want to besmirch the reputation of the bloke. The bloke was absolutely fine. There's just the bracket I was recommended to buy for this infernal bloody television doesn't actually fit. So uh, he is now going to turn his considerable experience to that. And, um, yeah, uh, I'm sure it'll come back. Uh, I'm quite happy to admit that I have no intention of drilling walls in my own house and risking stuff I own and can't <laughs> easily replace falling to the I, ground. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Ed. I am absolutely bloody no useless when it comes to that. For, but for this sort of the thing. important question, though, Ed, is how high is the TV mounted on the wall compared to your seat position? It is 
fractionally above, but it, well, the the idea was that it was a tilted bracket, so it was then going to angle down ever so slightly. The reason for that is the room serves two purposes, and I need to be able to get more. St- I mean, the the photos are doing the rounds of the enormous rack that I bought. I need to start being able to use the entire top shelf of that. So that's the priority, and that means moving the television ever so slightly higher than would be absolutely optimal in, uh, in these conditions. Now, guys. Uh I know you look at a lot of the home cinema setups that I, that are on the forums like I do, and I think the the number one thing that always sticks in my mind is um, it, is mounting the TV too high. The temptation of mounting the TV up high on the wall. Um, worst thing you could do, really. It's that yeah. one about above the fireplace, isn't it? Quite often, it's just that little. That's the one usually above high. the fireplace. It's too high. You're looking at uh, uh, too high. You know, it's too high up, and you're craning your neck and bending it to look up at an angle, which is in itself not necessarily that comfortable, but the problem we've discovered with a lot of, um, certainly with TVs that, and this is, to be honest, this is mostly, well, not all exclusively, but mostly LG, um, who use a passive filter. You know, um, they have a polarized filter across the front of their TVs, so you use passive 3D. If you're at uh, too high or too low an axis um, in the vertical plane, you quite often find that um, the image is, you know, it becomes unwatchable pretty quickly. So It's also the same with Panasonic plasmas and LG plasmas. as well, that yes. loop, like a loop filter, isn't it? Which really mm, looks yeah. weird from above or below completely so knocks the, the light put out two two or three good reasons there not necessarily not to try and if you're going to do a warm out don't put it too high up and i know that you know sometimes you, you, you're kind of compromising a little bit because you want to put it in the lounge and you want it sort of central but there's a fireplace there and you're going to put it above the fireplace which might seem like a good idea but it may not necessarily be the best thing in terms of actually watching the tv uh, if you don't watch a lot of tv don't bother <laughs> but yeah, uh, if you watch a lot of tv it could be an issue i've got a mate who's got one and, and it's too high and it even just sitting watching the football for 10 minutes my neck is sore. Yeah. Um, but how are how high are we classifying as too high? Well, if you think uh, what a fireplace is, is what usually up to chest height on me. So, but I'm small. <laughs> but I mean, assuming that optimal is your eyes are pointing from seating position in the centre of the screen. Yeah. How high are we saying is too high? I to the point a- where any- they're but- around the bottom of the screen. Anything where you have to raise your head slightly to look at. And it should be bang on level with your eye once you sat down. I think that shouldn't be looking up. But with the fireplace kind of above those, that kind of placement generally tends to happen where people have to make a choice between optimal TV position or optimal speaker placement. You know, in in those occasions, Mark, I think the best thing that they could do is shove your TV in the corner Mm. at eye height rather than knock out the fireplace. Yeah, or take the fireplace out. That's not going to harm. That's the hardcore solution. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're actually better putting it on the visual plane in a corner of a room than putting it above a fireplace. I think the stands yeah. are quite good because they're generally at the right height for average Oh, the stands on this Panasonic TV. It doesn't fit my TV stand. What are they thinking? I've had, I've had that, that. That, Phil, that's been going on now for a couple of years, mate. <laughs> the, I've the, had to turn TVs down because of that. Because it's a real pain, actually. I mean, at least Sony had the good idea of creating... Uh, giving you the option of moving those little feet from the edges in towards the centre more so that you can do exactly what you're trying to do, Phil, with that Panasonic, which I think was quite a clever idea. You need to buy yourself something like I've got. I, I don't think there's many TVs out there. No, Ed, Ed I've, I've ended up using the top of the flight case. <laughs> <laughs> what is this problem? The, the bottom of the stand is too big? No, they put the feet at, at, at the far points of the TV. So if you think about the width of the TV, the stand feet are at the edges. And there's nothing in the middle. So if, if your TV stand is not as wide as the TV, 
Oh, right. Maybe I can get in on the act now, because obviously my stand is 165 centimetres. Yes, we all know that you've got a big rack. (laughs) Massive rack. Well, as I say, I, I make no bones about the fact that, my, that, that as and when this thing finally goes up on the wall, it will be slightly higher than I do, although actually not any higher than it's already been. Um, but why are you mounting on the wall, Ed? Because I need, well, two reasons. One, as it stands, it's perched across upon an, a £9 IKEA plastic box uh, to give it the necessary <laughs> clearance in front of some other items. Um and that means it's a little wobbly when my son decides to, you know, have a, investigate it. Uh, so one, it's going up on the wall along with the Ellipson Planet speakers simply so they are safe for at least another, oh, I don't know, 10 or 11 minutes. Uh, and then, as I say, it then frees up the complete top shelf of the rack for me to get review equipment through without having to disconnect as much stuff. And then when I have a review set of AV speakers in, they can go in without the Ellipsons coming out now as well so it, it's as much being done for pragmatic reasons specific to what i do than a, a, a desire to improve performance or aesthetics you couldn't review okay. tvs because you'd have to get a man in every time you had a new one deliver them. <laughs> yeah well you know that's why i haven't, haven't like, like said the fact i know absolutely dick about um the business of uh of actually working out whether the picture's any good or not it's like yeah it seemed all right you know watched a couple of episodes of street outlaws seem legit like we say the life the life of an av reviewer <laughs> ladies and gentlemen it's a complicated life it really is uh, so steve what's our general advice about mounting your tv well obviously as ed's found out make sure you get the right size bracket <laughs> for a start i mean most tvs these days <laughs> use 400 by 400 visa mounts obviously there might be exceptions to that as ed's discovered the mount's so, fine. It's just where the main socket is. I tend to, what I tend to find with, I mean, a lot of wall mountings look great. I mean, they look really nice. So the important thing is, um, first of all, think about viewing angles, not just the horizontal viewing angles, but the vertical viewing angles. I don't have it too high up. Um, with certain panels, like mostly obviously VA panels, if you don't want to be looking at too much of an extreme angle because you're going to get a drop-off in performance as soon as you start doing that. And on the this year's um, Samsung TVs, I've got to say, this isn't really a problem with the 78-inch because you're always pretty much centre of the screen no matter where you're sat with that thing. But, um, but you know, certainly with the smaller screen size, 55 inches or even lower, um, and I'm sure both Phil and and, um, and Mark can back me up on this one, you know, once you move about 10, 15 degrees off of centre, you start to see a notable drop-off in performance. So, on, on this year, Samsung's terrible. Yeah, they really have got a very narrow optimal viewing angle this year. Um, so the backs, you know, look great for an LCD, but unless you're sat dead centre, you're going to start seeing a, a fall off in performance in terms, in terms of in terms of contrast. What about the seventy-eight inch? Was there a fall off? In, uh, you wouldn't be able well, to get is, ten degrees, to get, would you? Uh, uh, to get to an extreme angle, you've <laughs> got next be, door. <laughs> be next door, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost the entire wall of the room, so it's just not an issue at the moment. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, that curb really does come into play when it's that big. You do get a sense of more immersion yeah. Um, yeah. On, on a curve screen that big. Um, so suddenly, suddenly, you know, like the curve and everything starts to really start thinking, oh, this looks great. It's, it's a very impressive television. It's just hellishly expensive. And, you know, I couldn't really see justification for spending that kind of money on a TV. But, but, uh, if you want to go that big, you might as well get a projector for a lot yeah, less. Yeah, but again, it's, it's premiership footballer type. Exactly, yeah. It's nice. not going to be sold to very many people, um, I suspect. Uh, you know, it, I, I, I'm obviously of that range. The 65 inch is going to be even. That's not cheap, but um, that's going to be the bigger seller clearly because it's a more practical screen size. Uh, but it lives all the same benefits, like you know, a full array backlight and um, really good local dimming. And what does my Canada footage look like? Oh, oh God, it looks so good. 
Honestly, some of those shots, you feel like you're going to fall into them. <laughs> they really are impressive. Yeah, they look stunning. That, that's stunning. where that's when 4K makes sense. When it's on a big projection screen or on a big TV like that, that's where you know yeah. those extra pixels really make a big difference. Yeah, it's really impressive on that TV. Really impressive. And that um, one's uh, HDR as well. So did you watch some HDR? I've content? got some very brief, yeah, some stuff that Samsung gave me, um, a little brief clips of Exodus. Um, the stuff that we saw, in fact, when we were at that um, closed-door demo at CES looks incredibly impressive on this TV, yeah. I mean, it really does. Uh, you know, one day, fingers crossed, one day I'll be able to watch all this. <laughs> Uh, but the only delivery format is going to be like Amazon Prime and Netflix. Uh, I am buggered for some time. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Right, okay. Um, I think we've mentioned everything we've got coming up for review in, in, in the near future, so we don't need to go through that. So uh, coming up next is games news that's not games news. So, Mark, no games news this week. That's because hopefully you've recorded the games podcast. Yes, uh, we did it early this month because Steve's away. We've talked about Valve's U-turn on mods, which one of us or all of us were hyped for Star Wars Battlefront after the gameplay trailer, the cancellation of Silent Hills and how much PS4s with it still loaded on are going for on eBay and Guitar Hero Live after their reveal trailer. Uh, Right, so that's the Games Podcast coming up uh, at some point, Mark. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) I'm watching MacGyver. What happened to Magnum? Oh, Magnum's over. That finished at three. CBS action, you've got MacGyver. Just shown a shot of a horse being lifted up by a helicopter. Well, people do watch CBS action then. Yes. <laughs> I am it. <laughs> you are it. Well, I actually say that, but I've been watching uh, Next Generation. Yeah, you've got Streets of San Francisco on after this. I didn't know it existed till the weekend. They put lots of stuff on, on towards the end of the Freeview channels, and then they take it off. I don't know if they... Oh, yeah, they've still got the horror channel. The it's horror channel. I've never even heard of these channels. Where oh yeah, Channel uh, Seventy Freeview. on Freeview, Steve. Freeview. You know, rather than just using your. <laughs> They've got a horror channel, but yet they haven't been able to find enough programs to fill their remit. <laughs> so, so therefore, they've had to extend it to like Doctor Who's, and so it's horror channel slash sci-fi and anything vaguely geeky. Anything cheap they can pick yeah. up. <laughs> yes. Oh, I do watch Freeview, but I mostly watch BBC Four, occasionally BBC Two. Don't get you. Yeah. I mostly watch things with explosions and. <laughs> so basically all you watch is loads of stuff about Hitler, loads of stuff about um, astronomy and so on. Funnily enough, yeah, The Dark of Adolf Hitler, which I can say is an excellent series and worth watching if you want to. And, um, and tits, but, tits and bums and other stuff on Game of Thrones. Yes, and also, because it just started again last week, Penny Dreadful's back, so that's really good. So you're the person who watches all the stuff on Hitler. <laughs> I used to watch a lot more than I do now. I had one on the other day called Nazi Psychopath Killer. As if Nazi wasn't bad enough. He's a bad one. Yeah. A bad egg Nazi. When you say that, but there was one on the other day about the decent Nazi. Oh, yeah, that was about Himmler. Yeah, I know. And that was a title. What was it called? The Good Nazi? No, it was The Decent Nazi. The oh, decent, the decent, he was the decent. can't be The Good Nazi because that was the name of the biography of, um, of Albert Speer. Ah. True fact. It was, it was called the decent one because that's what he was referred to uh, at the time. Although clearly he was not at all decent. The guy was a total psychopath, uh, and you know was responsible for slaughtering seven million, eight million people in Europe in the death camps. But um, yeah, um, that that was a quite a misleading title, I think. But I guess I got everyone to watch it initially. Interesting, his daughter is still alive and runs a charity for 
uh, ex-Nazis. What? <laughs> it's called something like Secret Aid, I think it's called. And yeah, they raised funds to help out you know, convicted Nazis. Anyway, uh, is that games news, Mark? <laughs> yes, that that is games and Nazi news. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, so Steve, what's at the cinema? Got um, Spooks, The Greater Good, uh, which is, they might suggest, is the new film sort of sequel to the last season of Spooks. It does carry over a few of the characters. Obviously, um, Harry's there, which is um, Peter Firth's character, um, and a couple of others uh, do turn up as well. Basically, I don't think Ian, that, that many people left at the end of the last season who were still alive, so they weren't that many to carry over anyway, but obviously they've added on some new characters, um, predominantly Kit Harrington from, from Game of Thrones, Jon Snow from Game of Thrones, who plays uh, a, um, an ex-MI5 agent who gets brought back into uh, into a plot involving an escaped terrorist and, and Harry basically going on the run to try and find out who, who helped him escape from within the organisation as a sort of a mole in there or somebody who's helping them out. It, it really wants to be uh, more Bondish and more um, or more Bourne-like than the Pepsi TV series. It's got a bit of a bigger budget, so you get some scenes in Berlin, some scenes in Moscow. Mostly, though, it takes place in London. Uh, they at least ca- capture London quite well. You know, there's some really nice shots of London and things like the, the, you know, the, uh, the Shard and that sort of stuff. But it does rain a lot, so at least it's a realistic view of London. It's not that kind of picture postcard, blue sky, sunny... Um, version that you get in lots of films it was it was kind of a more realistic version of london and i really enjoyed it it's, it's got some nice little action set pieces um some nice little plot twists you know there's things like people putting um envelopes under the door you know with um notes in them and that sort of stuff so old school spy movies bit of born bit of bond but not too much um it hasn't quite got the budget to do that but it does at least try and and kit harrington's a reasonably um sort of charismatic uh, leading man along with um peter firth playing harry pierce um and, and by by now he can do that in his sleep I don't think it will do that well at the box office in terms of a cinema film, but I imagine it will do very well in terms of you know DVD and Blu-ray or, or, or streaming services where, where I think it's going to appeal more because although it's shot 2.35 to 1, clearly it, it's falling up from a TV series and it still very much feels like the TV series because the TV service itself was trying to be like 24 and, and, and a bit of Bond and a bit of, um, bit of Bourne anyway. Um, but yeah, it was good, it was good fun. Uh, I gave it, I think, 7 out of 10. I, I didn't actually review the film. It was um, Shereen, she gave it 7 out of 10 and I'd agree with that. Do you have to have any knowledge of the TV series, uh, or can you go in cold? No, you can go into this cold. Okay, let's move to films opening this Friday now. The first one is Pitch uh, Perfect 2, which we can forget about. Um, I don't think, yes. I don't think I any think of us will this. be going to that. I think the big one, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it may just be um, Mad Max Fury Road. I think uh, I think this will be the big release this week, and probably one of the big releases this year. Uh, a film that's been a long time in the making. No, um, that always spells disaster. Well, it wasn't their fault. Um, they were going to shoot. Obviously, you know, if you've seen a Mad Max film, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic, well, Australia, basically. You know, deserts are a key element of this, you know, the scorched earth, etc. And I believe when they went to start shooting initially, there were some massive rainstorms and it got washed out, which was not really their fault. But it has been a long time. Certainly it's been, you know, in pre-production and writing. That's been going on for a good 10 years, at least, maybe longer since they were first talking about doing a new Mad Max movie. Obviously, it's taken so long that um, that Mel Gibson's too old to play the part now. Well, Mel Gibson's too old <laughs> and probably too mad to play the part now. <laughs> Tom Hardy is now playing Max in this version. Um, having seen the various trailers, it looks as though it's, it's part reboot, part sequel, part remake. It seems to be a bit of everything. But it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time making. They shot it about, I think, it was two or three years ago. It was shot. There's been a long time in post-production in terms of the effects, in terms of editing. They shot, they shot it at the same time as The Hobbit because yeah. I remember both were in 
pre-production and production at the same time. So that would have been back in 2011. So that's even longer, nearly four years. It's been a hell of a long time in the coming. Why is that? Well, I, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily because the film's been in trouble. I just think it's an incredibly complicated film. If you look at the trailers, you'll see the you know, level of physical effects and uh, um, stunt work that went into shooting it, and then the amount of time it's been spent editing it and doing the post-production effects. It's, and, it's, and it was shot in 3D as well, native 3D. So it's been a very complicated production. Um, George Miller has thrown everything but the kitchen sink at the screen by the looks of it. Um, along with Tom Hardy, you've got Charlize Theron um, in, in, and Nicholas Holt. Uh, it looks like it's going to be great fun. I mean, certainly if it delivers on the action stakes, and I'm sure it will, uh, it's going to be a great f- fun movie to watch. Um, whether it'll work in the context of the previous three films, how that's all going to tie together, I don't know yet because I haven't seen it. I'm seeing it on Friday night. But, um, but it's, yeah, I, I think it's going to be great fun. And I know George Miller knows how to use 3D because he's used it effectively on things like, um, uh, what did he do? Uh, Happy Feet. Bit of a change from Happy Feet to this, but uh, anyway. Uh, it, I, 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 so they're going to stop in the middle and break into a musical number, are they? There won't be any singing on Dancing <laughs> Penguins, I, I assume, but maybe there will be. Uh, right, okay, so let's open this up. Uh, Mr. Botwright, are you going to the cinema to see this? No. Ed? I, I'd love to, but it's very unlikely. Hodge? Oh, chance. I don't think I want to watch it on disc. It looks shit to me. The trailer looks awful. I don't know who this is for. It just just looks... Hang on, hang on, hang on. on. I'll I'll tell you who this is for. This this is for Chris Marconini. (laughs) (laughs) He had made it for one man, yeah. Um, Especially when he told us this morning that he's going to the cinema dressed as Mad Max to see it. That'll be fun. And he's not joking. That is genuinely true. I mean, he didn't remember when he went dressed up as Wolverine to go and see... Yeah, and broke his ankle. What was it, your ankle? No, that was James Bond. Oh, was it? Broke his ribs, didn't he? Yeah, he, he, fell, he, fell off, off, no, he, he fell off a post box drunk as a Wolverine. Was... <laughs> With like knives tied to his fingers. Well, like like yeah, we say, the, the life of an AV reviewer <laughs> is not like that. Chris is a one of a kind, totally. Uh, Chris, Chris is up for this, yeah, uh, um, this film. Um, what, the question, though, who is it aimed at is a good one. I think that's a very valid question because, okay, other people here, who's a fan of the original Mad Max films? Love it. I think we all are. I liked yeah, it. But, I, I, I liked it was alright. I, no, I, 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 I didn't get the whole... Because I didn't see it um, when I was at high school, when everybody else saw it, and when it first came out. I kind of seen it a few years after that, so it didn't have the same... It'd be like seeing Star Wars in the 90s compared to seeing it in the 70s when you were a kid. Mm. So it, it didn't really do much for me. I, I it was, was alright, but... Really into it. I was too young to go and see it at the cinema, but I remember seeing the trailers and thinking, God, that looks amazing. I really, really want to see that. And then I did get to see that and also Road Warrior Mad Max 2 uh, on, on a video in sort of early 80s when the videos, you know, video rentals first started. And I absolutely loved them both, particularly the Road Warrior, which I think is a, one of my probably one of my favorite films. Obviously, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, not so good. Um, I'm so, the statement you know, of the year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all right. I watched it again recently on Blu-ray and I quite enjoyed it and it wasn't as bad as I remembered it being back in the mid-80s. But from 19... What was it, 85, was it, that film came out? So we're talking nearly 20... Well, actually, no, 20 years. 20 years later. Oh, Christ, 30 years later. 30, yes. 30 years later. God, I'm feeling old. Who are you making this film for? Because clearly the people that... There's a whole generation that maybe moved on now aren't going to bother with it. The younger generation aren't going to have a clue what they're talking about, which I guess explains why it's being slightly rebooted and remade in a way. But you have to wonder who this is aimed at, um, other than Chris McAnini. Um, 
It's a valid question. Uh, we'll see, I guess, with the box office. But so, that, sorry, that's that's like that's like six times you said it's a valid question, and who's it made for? <laughs> All right. <laughs> you going anywhere with this argument? It costs a lot of money, so someone better go and see it. <laughs> Uh, but it won't be anybody on Navy Phones podcast as I'm we've going, found I'm it. I'm going. I'm yeah, going. but you don't count. You go and see, you go and see movies anyway. Yeah, you just like that. Anything worth buying on Blu-ray, Steve? Uh, yes, yeah, I think that's. I think there is there is stuff that's worth picking up on Blu-ray. Um, couple actually next week. There's three films coming out on Blu-ray. Two, one of which, none of which I've seen. In all fairness, make up your mind. One of them, two. The, no, none of them. Uh, well. <laughs> Three films, one of which I definitely would like to see, A Most Violent Year with um, Oscar Isaac, which uh, looks quite interesting, had good reviews, and I quite fancy seeing. Foxcatcher's coming out. That's also had very good reviews, but I have to say, leaves me absolutely cold. I have no interest in seeing the film at all. Um, that's the one with Steve Carell um, and uh, Channing Tatum. and The wrestling movie. Uh, yeah, it is well. Yeah, it's the wrestling movie, yeah, and Mark Ruffalo. Uh, you know, had fantastic See, reviews. That, that surprises me. That really does surprise me, Steve, because I would have thought lubed up men is exactly what you mean. It's not that kind of wrestling. wrestling. It's proper wrestling. Yeah, it's actual proper Olympic wrestling. Um, No, I just, I just think Steve Crow's performance. I know he got laudits, you know, and was being being pegged for possible Oscar winner. It just looks like somebody, you know, in makeup acting, and and rather than actually hunting a performance. I'm Um, assuming it's a serious film. Yes, it is a serious film. Yes, it's 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 a a dead, it's a dead serious. Very serious, doesn't it? Very serious. That's Uh, the the only thing that threw me off, which was looking at kind of. The occasional clips on trailers and just thinking, well, it's Steve Carell. It looks like he's you know. serious though. He's very good in Middle Miss Sunshine, playing pretty straight in that one. I uh, know, but when he looks straight, I, you know, you just kind of half expect him to say, "I love lamp." Yeah, you, you see, because a lot of his comic performances are played dead straight. Yeah, yeah, that's true actually. <laughs> anyway, most violent year, I am interested in seeing Foxcatcher, not so much. And there's also Into the Woods, um, the film version of the Stephen Sondheim musical, which I've got absolutely no interest in whatsoever. Okay, uh, so that's our Blu-ray and films at the cinema this Friday. So this Friday, uh, if you're into Mad Max, then go, go to the cinema. If not, there's three Blu-rays. But Steve desperately wants to see one of them. He might want to see the other one, and he definitely doesn't want to see the last one. Is that about right? That sums it up nicely, Phil. Thank you. Uh, right, so to wrap up on uh, the podcast today, is uh, there's a new documentary about the aborted attempt by uh, Tim Burton to make Superman Lives with Nicolas Cage. This is the first time I've ever heard about this, Steve. It's, Have you not? I've not heard about this. I've never um, heard about this. In the, uh, there was a very, I mean, a bit like Mad Max, there was a very, very long period where they were trying to bring Superman back to the big screen um, after Superman for the Quest for Peace, which I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I almost walked out of because um, it was so bad. That was a terrible, terrible film done on the cheap um, by Golan, Golan and Globus, and it was just dreadful. And it killed the Superman franchise for quite a long time. But, they were, but Warner Brothers, you know, is one of their big, you know, big characters, and they wanted to bring him back to the big screen, and they spent a long time doing various different ideas. One of which, interestingly, was Batman versus Superman, which is now what's actually going to happen um, next year. But they they eventually came on the idea of they were going to do Superman Lives, and you know, where he um, based upon um, one of the stories in the comic book. And Tim Burton came on board to direct it. Thought Tim Burton great. He did Batman. He can do Superman as well. He got up on board Nicolas Cage. Now Nicolas Cage is Superman in itself. I would quite like to see that. Just out of curiosity. They spent a lot of money on this. They went through various screenplays. As, um, as an alcoholic Superman. Well, uh, just Nicolas Cage's fate does not look like Superman to me, but I know he's a massive Superman fan. He actually named his son Kal-El. That's how much of a Superman fan he is. Yeah, he was on board. Um, they brought Kevin Smith on board, another, another big comic book fan, to write the screenplay. And Kevin Smith's done some really good stand-up um, in one of his um, evenings with, talking about his experiences writing this film. And if you haven't seen it, 
get it on watch it on YouTube. Seriously, it's hysterically funny when he talks about dealing with John Peters, who was the producer who also produced um, Batman and is best known as my opinion for being Barbara Streisand's hairdresser. Um, but this guy is bonkers. Uh, and he was the guy producing Superman Lears. Burton was directing it. Kevin Smith was writing it. And Nicolas Cage was going to play Superman. Now, come on, don't you want to see that film? I want to see that film. Um, this is documentary called The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened, question mark, is about what did happen and why the film eventually never got made. And they were almost to the point of principal photography on this. That's how close it came. So there's footage in it of, of, of Nicolas Cage in the Superman and various costumes they were developing and that sort of stuff. So... You know, it nearly went to, went to production. It just dropped down at the last minute. And then they ended up doing what became Superman Returns, the Brian Singer movie in 2006, I think it was. Um, and that film got lumbered with all the development costs for this, by the way. So for the previous 15 years, that, so that film ended up costing $250 million because it got dumped with all the money that Warner's had spent in the previous 15 years on other abortive Superman films. Anyway, that's, that's what this is about. This is about this film that didn't get made. And I've got to say that some of the best documentaries about films are the ones about films that didn't get made. So there's a great documentary about um, Jodorowsky's attempt to make Dune into a film that's, that's really worth checking out if you get a chance. Very, very interesting and very funny. There's a fantastic documentary about Terry Gilliam's What's it called? Attempt. What's the um, Dune documentary called? Yeah. Jodor- yeah. Jodorowsky's Dune is called. Okay. Um, and um, that, is, that's is, it on, a, is it on Netflix? Any streaming services? It's on Blu-ray. I've got the Blu-ray. I'm, it might be available. I have. I haven't seen it, but uh, worth checking. It was a Sony release, so it might be uh, on there now. It came out on disc last summer. I got the uh, Blu-ray, and um, I, I highly recommend. It. If you're a fan of Dune, the book, the David Lynch version of Dune, and j- just you know, interested in movies in general, this is one that absolutely bonkers. Uh, his concepts were absolutely bonkers. He was going to have Pink Floyd doing the music. Actually, he was going to have different bands doing different music for different planets. So Pink Floyd were going to do, I, I don't know which planet they were going to do, maybe the um, Harkonnen. They had, he had Geiger. It was interesting, actually, because what happened was he put together this team to make this film based upon his screenplay, based upon Dune. And the idea was that H.R. Geiger was going to design the Harkonnen planet. And a lot of his work that went on to that ended up becoming the work he did in uh, Alien. Uh, Dan O'Bannon was brought on to do the effects. A lot of the work he did on that, he carried forward when he got involved with Alien because he wrote the screenplay for Alien. So a lot of what happened was that the film never got made, but a lot of people that were brought together, Chris Foss, um, other designers like that, they ended up working on Alien instead. So Alien kind of was born out of this abortive attempt to make Dune. So it's, it's a really interesting documentary and I highly recommend it. Um, again, about a film that never got made. Same with, um, what was it called? Uh, Lost in La Mancha, which is the ma- about the making or his attempt to make Terry Gilliam's film uh, about Don Quixote, which uh, again, never happened. Uh, and is a, it's just one of those, basically the lesson on that one is you don't, don't go into a film without enough money and an old aging leading man who's not going to, can't do it basically. It's it just, and it, he had so much bad luck, bad weather. Again, the weather turned against him. It was basically washed out. It turned out the way they were trying to shoot was actually a live uh, firing ground for the Spanish um, army as well, which probably wasn't a good idea. Um, jets flying over and bombs going off all around them. It was just no, badly, bad pre-production, basically bad planning. Uh, and it, it sank the film. But uh, again, that's worth checking out. And one of my all-time favourite documentaries, I'm sure Ed will agree with this, about the making of a film. This one did get made, but amazingly, you kind of wonder how they did manage to make it. Uh, Hearts of Darkness about the making of Apocalypse Now, which is a brilliant documentary that's really funny and just has this kind of, you know, they've got recordings that um, Sophie, not Sophie, Eleanor Coppola made at the time, you know, of like, conversations on the phone that Coppola's having. All real, really, you get into the real heart of the making of that film and how utterly bonkers it was. And uh, I can't recommend that highly enough either. 
a few minutes behind, but Jodorowsky's Dune is on Netflix Canada. In case you can there you go. That. There you go. I know we've mentioned it before, but um, that Keanu Reeves documentary, I've, I've probably only w ever watched one documentary about movies, and that was it, <laughs> which was a side-by-side, -side, which was a kind of a comparison between digital filmmaking and um, old-school film capture. Uh, which I found was really quite fascinating and a good place to start if you don't you didn't know nothing about how how film was captured. I, th I think one of the if we're talking about extras or documentaries about film, I'd have to see the Hamster Factor and other tales of the Twelve Monkeys. I absolutely love that. It was, it was the same team that did Lost in La Mancha, wasn't it? Was yeah, it? it was yeah. All right, really really good documentary, well put together, and uh, just shows you how mad Gilliam actually is. <laughs> been years since i've watched it but um the the shark is still working you know the uh yeah, yeah. jaws jaws one, one. yeah um that, that's th quite good there's, there's a couple of decent ones on jaws there's that one and there's the fan made one which i'm trying to remember the name of now and i can't remember it it's not the shark is still working isn't that it's not that one? no no the one of them is one is still working and the other one was the shark isn't working <laughs> <laughs> you're right yeah they're just doing hard to <laughs> I always get them mixed up, which is which. One was a fan, a fan started off as a fan-based thing and, and actually morphed into one of the best documentaries on Jaws. But there's loads of them. And if you like your books, Steve, I know you like the, your books and stuff. I picked one up when I was in Canada. Um, uh, Jaws, uh, Memories from Martha's Vineyard, I think it's called. It's a, it's a big A3-size yeah. book and it's beautiful photograph, all behind-the-scenes stuff. Did you uh, buy that in the end? I did, yeah. It was quite expensive, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> But, yeah, it did look good, but it was a bit toppy on the price point. So yeah, but nice. I, I, I think uh, if you're a big fan of Jaws, and Jaws is probably in my top three, then you know, I thought it was worth spending the money on because it's one of those souvenir things that you can keep for forever. A great documentary, if you can get hold, watch it. If you've got the original, uh, I think it's available on some of the other re-releases as well, but certainly the original DVD release of The Phantom Menace has that documentary, The Beginning. Empire. Uh, not Empire Dreams. No. The Beginning. The one that's about making a phantom menace i think it's called the beginning it's a one hour oh, no, I, I, I couldn't have watched that because that rick mccallum was in it and i just wanted to throw oh, no it's, screen. it's uh it's one of those rare examples when that were the truth you know it's all, all it's none of it's some um, there's no uh, talking in interviews it's all footage at the time shot at the time of joint production joint production production and post-production right up to the moment when they're about to screen the first screening to for fans of the phantom menace and there's some really brutal stuff in there, really honest stuff where, um, you know, Lucas is going like he's, he knows he's screwed up with, the, with, with hiring the kid, that he can't carry the scenes and he's having to find ways of fixing it, um, where people are watching the first edit and they're afterwards screen, they're all looking around and, you know, you can see they're thinking, this doesn't work. This is not very good. And it's, it's really, really quite w worth watching to see. Uh, 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 but they never did it again after that. They were never that honest. It was really honest uh, and probably a little bit too honest. You could see where things were going off the rails already at that point in the in the first film, and it just got progressively worse after that. But um, yeah, that, that's worth checking out. It's, I think yeah, it's but, Rick, the but Rick McCallum's all over that, isn't he? Because I'm sure I started. Yeah, but he's like, like the cheerleader. Kind of, yeah, it's going to be good. But yeah. even he, I think there's there's a, he, there's a couple grew, of scenes where even he knows he grew a chin like George Lucas. <laughs> There's two I really like. There was one that was done by BBC um, on George Lucas, which was really well done. And I'm trying to remember what that was called. I don't think it's ever been released on disc. That's the only thing. I think it was only ever shown on the BBC. It basically started in Modesto, where he was, uh, where he had his car crash, and then it was all about his early career and stuff. Really like that. Yeah. And the other one is Empire of Dreams. I think that's one of the best Star Wars documentaries. There's still, I think, room for a 
are good. I've t- I think I mentioned these before, but there's some re- there's three really great books called The Making of Star Wars and Making of Empire Strikes Back and The Making of Return of the Jedi, which are, um, are construct- constructed purely of contemporary interviews and not anything post, you know, no stuff interviewed now where they start trying to change the past. It's all stuff at the time. And so you get an idea, particularly with Star Wars. I think there's a room now for a really good documentary about the making of Star Wars because the pressure Lucas was under to deliver that film, the risk they were taking in terms of whether the effects were ever going to work, whether ILM were going to deliver. Um, you know, what happened with the first edit and how he changed it and, and, and basically fired one of the editors and brought in his wife, Luke Marcia, who did an unsung hero. I think she does a fantastic job of bringing that film together by the end. A lot of people that were involved in Star Wars, like Marcia Lucas, like um, Gary Kurtz, you know, who aren't involved in the later stuff, particularly after Empire. You know, you can see where they perhaps don't weren't getting enough credit, I don't think, for what they did. But I think there's a, there's a good documentary made there. They kind of cover it a little bit in Empire of the Dreams, but not in enough detail, I don't think. But um, you're right, it is a good documentary about all three of the original films. Talking about fan-based uh, documentaries, Jamie Benn, and I know Jamie listens into the podcast now and again, go and check out Jamie's stuff on Vimeo. They're called film filmumentaries. They're about uh, each of the Star Wars films, the original Star Wars films. I think he's done one on Jaws as well. And, and did for, he do one on Raiders too? And he did one on Raiders. I think he did one on Raiders. Let me just double quick check on Vimeo because that's where you'll find his stuff. So he did Returning to Jedi, uh, Star Wars Begins, Inside Jaws, Building Empire. Building Empire. And uh, there was the one on Indiana Jones, which I can't seem to find at the minute. But if you get a chance, go and have a look. Uh, Raiders, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Ark, a film, film documentary. Uh, it's fan made, but I think uh, he certainly had a lot of interest from studios into turning his stuff into proper productions that that, that yeah, will get seen. So uh, if you get a chance, have a look at Jamie's stuff. And I know he listens into the podcast. Love your stuff, Jamie. Uh, keep saying. I would I would say his Star Wars stuff is better than anything that's been officially released by Lucasfilm. Well, there you go. There's high praise. Steve's <laughs> obviously after after something there. <laughs> Date maybe? <laughs> no, they are really really good really well thought out and full of interesting details. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll put links to uh, Jamie's mm. stuff on, on Vimeo within the podcast uh, thread and if you get a chance go and have a look at them, they are really well put together, uh, little fun films. about you Mark B, any, any interesting documentaries about uh, Asian cinema that we might want to watch? Um, no, not about <laughs> that but if, if we're on a kind of, it's not specifically about um, documenting of the, the film being made as such but about the film um, Room 237, about The Shining. Yeah, that's really good. (laughs) Well worth a look. It's more about viewers and interpretation um, because, of course, you know, Kubrick was this kind of almost mythical figure. It's very hard to get to the the root of how he designed things and and what the meaning was behind his films. But, um, say, all about The Shining and and the different fan views of what it was, their interpretations, you know, which obviously range from the, the... genocide of the native americans to to the holocaust taking, to the moon landing the moon yeah but it it's you know it's they're cogent arguments they're they're, they're you know they're they're quite well put together um obviously at times you kind of feel like you you know you are listening to a kind of stoned conversation but there is always that little seed of you know kubrick didn't do much without having a reason to do it so therefore as mad as the theories are it's it, it it's kind of a film as much about the power of filmmaking and, and how it can be kind of all things to all people. Yeah. There's also, if you're interested in Kubrick, the uh, Life in Pictures, or is that Life in Pictures? Yeah, I think it's Life in Pictures. The one's narrated by Tom Cruise um, about his entire career that they did after his death um, is also a good watch. Today's been the Steve Withers Show. 
<laughs> yeah, it has in the half, hasn't it? That's not strictly true. The first half was very light on me, in all fairness. The second half, though. <laughs> oh, you didn't half make up for the second half, though, eh? <laughs> Game of two halves. <laughs> and on that bombshell, that's it for the AV Forums podcast this week. Uh, my thanks to Steve Weathers. Jimmy the Goose, larger than life and two ice as ugly. Mark Hodgkinson. I think we've got some hoon trouble. Mark Burry. Nothing a year in the tropics wouldn't fix. And Ed Selly. Kicker in the guts. Uh, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook bookmarkavforums.com for latest reviews news and video and you can also leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show Uh, I'm Phil Hinton thanks very much for listening and we will see you again uh, next Wednesday (laughs) 